Hello, hello. Welcome to Incrementals Podcast, Podrick the Podcast. The series is titled We're All Mad Here, where we interview people with a variety of backgrounds and experience talking about whatever we find interesting to talk about. The interviews are very casual and have no set agenda. We're not going to try to sell you timeshare nor cheap CPA traffic in tier one countries. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Felix Wang, who's a senior user acquisition manager at Hopper, the incredible travel app. Felix is one of those unique people who has experience in multiple industries, health, gaming, travel. He's seen it all. We spoke a lot about seasonality, incentives, and what it means being a data-driven marketer. I had a blast speaking with Felix and I hope you'll enjoy listening to this interview. Hey, Felix. How are you doing? Hey, hey Mara. Doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm very, very good. Long days, but finally it's spring and nice outside. We have cher- I have cherry blossoms here, so. so oh, very cool. cool. Same time yeah. here as well. I'm in Vancouver. Cherry blossoms are a huge thing. You know, in, in uh, so Berlin, like the, at least the story, I don't know if it's urban legend or not, but the story is that after World War II, Japan felt sorry for Germany. So it sent Germany 50,000 cherry blossom trees. Wow. I don't know if it's true or myth, but like Berlin is covered in cherry blossoms and it's annoying that it's only like three weeks and then it's gone, um, but it's really beautiful during these three weeks. Totally. Cool. So uh, Felix, how about introducing yourself, uh, giving a little bit of background or lengthy background into uh, how you ended where you are? For sure. So uh, I'm currently a user acquisition manager at Hopper, which is a travel booking app. I work on our rental cars category, so focused on acquiring new users, getting more people to book their rental cars through Hopper. Um, I would say I come from a bit more of a traditional marketing background. So I started my career at, uh, at TELUS, which is a large telco provider here in Canada. Spent two years in a rotation program there where I got to work on a couple different marketing teams, which is really cool because I had no idea what I wanted to do at that time, kind of fresh out of university. Uh, but along the way, I kind of realized that I wanted to work in more digital or performance marketing. So that's um, when I finished the program, I joined a new team on the healthcare side of the business, um, working on growth marketing for a telehealth app called Babylon. And that was my first intro to working in mobile marketing at the time. So the organization as a whole, like didn't really have a lot of expertise in mobile, which forced me to do a lot of research and learn about the industry or what attribution and MFPs are and all that stuff. So um, that was a great experience. And then after I had an opportunity to, to work at Skills, which is a mobile gaming company in the real money gaming space, um, got the chance to work with crazy large budgets, uh, work with some really smart people, but ultimately wasn't as passionate as about, about mobile games as I thought I was. Uh, and that's what kind of led me to uh, Hopper where I am now. Which one would you call the, like, you know, uh, UA University for you? Was it a telco or was it skills? Uh, that was at skills, for sure. And just kind of the sophistication, the targeting, yeah, um, everything. That was a eye-opening experience. By the way, I, I kind of relate to, like, joining a company, I would say, in a young age and being, you're not even thrown into the deep end. You're literally thrown into the ocean, swim, and then you, you are kind of forced to learn, uh, which is, uh, you know, I, I guess it's a skill of its own, by the way. Yeah, I think I think when you're faced with that, you you have to deal with a lot of uncertainty as well, right? So it's being comfortable knowing that you don't know a lot, and then you just have to figure it out. It's like a swim. And what drew you to this? So what 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 did you study? 
I studied marketing actually. So okay, I've always cool. want, wanted to, to be in marketing, but uh, I didn't exactly know which path I wanted to take. Or Were you contemplating, it's... contemplating like Mad Men style marketing, copywriting and stuff? Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Same. It, it's funny in a, <laughs> when you, when you are in a marketing course, that's like always the sexiest program to go in, like the CPG brand name, like Procter and Gamble. Um, that was definitely brand, thinking brand about manager. It. Yeah. Being a yeah, brand totally. manager. Yeah. <laughs> you know, early, early in my career, again, this is like 2002. So I, I, I started my, actually my journey directly in an ad tech company, um, like one of the biggest ad networks in the world back then in like, um, in um, like 2002 magnitudes. And, um, Again, I was very young and I thought I wanted to be a copywriter. I wanted to go into marketing. And indeed, I spoke with one of the agencies we were working with, uh, with a copywriter. And I was already sold. I actually uh, got into a prestigious uh, copywriting uh, school. And then I was smart enough to ask him uh, about his salary. <laughs> and then I learned that, you know what? I'm fine with digital media. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I think you need to be really passionate about the... Um, creative aspect uh to follow the the brand marketing uh, side of the dream yeah yeah i think when Which, you work in an agency your uh your lifestyle is just subsidized so you know the salary doesn't matter as much <laughs> exactly it's the, per the perks and the dinners and uh, yeah if you want to if you want to figure out the best restaurant just speak with anyone working in an agency uh kind of very much related to this like generic question that i always ask in the series uh, series do you think marketing is more of an art or more of a science? I think marketing is more of a science in the sense that marketing at its core is about trying to understand people, right? Their decision-making process, habits, preferences. Um, and like people are like really complex. They make like both logical and emotional decisions. So I think that's what makes marketing tough, but interesting at the same time. I can see why a lot of people would say art because there is obviously a lot of creativity when it comes to ads and, and copywriting, right? But um, the other thing is, I think when, it, when I think about art, it has so much to do with the artist themselves. But as a marketer, it's never really about you. It's not about what I like or the creative that I like the best. You, you let the mm. consumer decide that. You know, I, there's a there's a book from uh, Ogilvy, like one of the, I would say, father figures of advertising. And he says, I don't care if people find the ads I make like nice. I don't care if they win awards. The only thing I care about are they increasing sales to my customers. And actually, in a way, that's very scientific approach to look at because at the end, like, like even Ogilvy, you know, um, like one of the biggest agencies, I would say, like definitely known for creatives, is literally saying in his own uh, biography, it's about the sales. It's about the KPIs. Yeah, find yeah, that really yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, like a lot of a lot of the books that he wrote, it's still so relevant today. Like yeah, yeah. copywriting, especially. By the way, I think I quoted a couple of the things from him for some of the articles I wrote about incrementality measurement and measurement in general, um, because he, he showed he showed experiments where like the best ad did not always yield more sales. Sometimes it yielded interest and again awards and people love it, but does it actually pay off the investment? Yeah. Um, now going back, you know, it's like it's another thing I really like asking people uh, if you need to give advice to like young people 
trying to enter this industry and this industry is quite vague. So maybe let's talk about um, digital marketing or user acquisition. What piece of advice would you give these people? Yeah, I think the, the world where we're at right now, there's just so much information and learning materials out there. Like it, when I look at my email inbox, there's just so many newsletters that I'm subscribed to that I never read um, that I think you can get on this. It's pretty easy to get on this never ending treadmill of reading about marketing with ever, without ever doing marketing, right? So I think my advice would be just to get uh, hands-on experience as fast as you can, um, especially in user acquisition, digital marketing. Nobody's going to stop you from making a Facebook account or a Google AdWords account and kind of start running ads on your own. Um, and I think you learn so much more that way. Yeah, I, I also think so. It's like, it's actually fairly simple. People think it's, it's extremely complicated, but how long does it take to set up a, a UAC campaign these days? One minute? Maybe less, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's like, basically, what's your budget? That's the, the question <laughs> they really want to ask the platforms. Um, cool. Um, now, you have really diverse experience, okay? You, you have retail, you have health, you have gaming and you have travel. What, what's, the, what's the uniqueness, um, each one that you think a user acquisition manager for each of these sectors needs to keep in mind? Yeah, I would say totally. When I think about my career, there's such a diverse range of industries. Um, I think when you work across like a diverse range of industries like that, you kind of see the differences in, that, in what the teams prioritize. So there's lots of differences in between risk appetites for brand versus performance. Um, each company has a different approach to marketing. And I think there's lots of unique um, kind of considerations for each market as well. So talking about healthcare, there's lots of HIPAA and regulatory compliance issues that you really need to deal with. So when people look at healthcare ads, they're typically boring and very safe. And it's not that like these marketers can't, make great ads not that they're smart or anything it's just that they're not allowed to say a lot of the things that you can do um in other industries like gaming for example where it's almost wide open and there's <laughs> very little that you can't say yeah very very wild wild west and how is it with uh, how is it with travel yeah i would travel travel is definitely um i guess a bit more there's more you can say for sure um but more freedom and that's kind of what attracted me to to work there um Definitely not as many stakeholders and regulatory considerations there, which is great. But, you know, it's like um, one thing I've noticed with, so with gaming, yes, you could consider there's some seasonality and, okay, maybe you can say summer, people play more, COVID was great for gaming companies mostly, uh, but it's not travel. Mm -hmm. Travel is extremely seasonal. And there it's like, at least what I've seen is that no amount of paid media can really fight off seasonality. Do you experience the same? And how are you incorporating seasonality in your day-to-day -day marketing decision? Definitely. I think that's a, it's a huge consideration in terms of first where we plan our media spend for, for the year in terms of uh, increasing when there are heavy travel periods uh, because that it's, it's a reality, right? There are kind of baked in behaviors throughout the year. And I think a lot of that comes down to creative as well. So when I work on um, the rental cars vertical, there are certain uh, use cases more like in the summertime, people more go on road trips and it's important to include that in the creative moving forward uh, for that period specifically. So I think a lot of it comes down to 
your planning cycle from a media perspective and also uh, the creative and the use cases that you're messaging. Cool. And how much, like, um, I'm, I'm assuming you're not making your own creatives, but how much of a say do you have in the creative ideas you're going to get the designers to make for you? Yeah, at Hopper, it's super collaborative. So uh, probably more than other places, the UA managers are thinking a lot about creative as well. And I think that's kind of generally the approach that our growth marketing team has where um, we view creative as one of the biggest levers in driving performance. Um, and so it's sort of everybody's job to, to kind of brainstorm and think about different concepts, keeping an eye out on what the trends are on different platforms and bring those ideas to the table as well. Cool. And are you are you basically relying mostly like based on your creative experience and again without sharing too much secret sauce are you relying more on let's say um, like the, the the design part like the, let's say the the car messages itself or the brands that you guys collaborate with like you know six and Avis and so on and so on yeah it's, it's more hopper the brand itself um, there are some considerations in terms of messaging uh, our supplier brands so it's more more hopper. Yeah, no, and Hopper, Hopper is a very, very well-known brand. It's also a very cool brand with the bunny. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Now, like, we cannot talk about the travel industry user acquisition without mentioning at least two major uh, challenges that were brought up in the last couple of years. Um, there's COVID and there's ATT. Um, which one do you want to start with first? Sure. I, I can start with COVID. Um and like obviously the pandemic was really rough for all travel companies um but hopper um basically after 2021 really hit a stride in terms of leveraging um, a lot of our fintech products so that's one of the things that makes hopper kind of differentiated versus a lot of the other travel booking platforms is the um, ability to like freeze the price of a flight, for example, right? So during the pandemic, and even now, there's just so much uh, uncertainty in terms of booking travel delays. Like I, I flew recently and I was delayed both times I was in an airport. So um, there's just so, so much going on with travel nowadays that um, being able to have that price certainty, being able to have the, you know, insurance coverage when you are, if your flight does get canceled or delayed, those things are so important and what's really drove a lot of the kind of revenue growth for, for Hopper over the past year or so. Um, but I think overall, the, the return back to normal, normal world per se um, has been choppy. Sometimes it's um, really dependent on the regulations as well. So um, kind of early on the pandemic, rental cars was really huge because that's basically the only way that you could get around to AMB where you couldn't really fly anymore. Um, and now that flights are taking back um you're seeing that pick up hotels um i've always been uh, pretty strong throughout the pandemic but um even more so now but did you see covid is maybe also creating opportunities for hopper so like obviously so hopper has the uh, luxury of having multiple products uh, within the same app and again it allowed you to kind of like divert your attention to the products that had a bigger chance of success do you see essentially some competitors who just like failed miserably during this period and leaving space for Hopper to take into a, you know, um, fill the vacuum? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest factor there uh, is that Hopper, since we're mobile focused, our user base is much younger. Um, and kind of 
when we saw the recovery from travel, um, a lot of the first travelers were younger folks who were more kind of um, less risk averse and wanted to get out there, right? So that's what really helped Hopper um, probably in the initial comeback. And then let's talk about the other thing that happened while we were on lockdown. Uh, I remember this, like we just started incremental back then. I remember telling investors the story that maybe in the future, Apple will deprecate the IDFA, this would be good for us. We never thought Apple will announce it during a, essentially Q2 2020, while the world was in pretty much lockdown mode and executed um, in 2021, where the world was still in lockdown mode. I'm, I'm glad that Apple did listen to a lot of developers that basically begged them to delay, but they did execute on this. Now, as a very much data-driven marketing uh, um, a professional, how did you deal with that? Yeah, so I kind of, when that happened, I was at Skills and I, you know, when I started Hopper, um, they had kind of mostly dealt with the, the brunt of the, the iOS 14 impacts. Um, but I would say there's a, a couple things that kind of helped Hopper along the way. One is just being in a kind of a broader category like travel. We're not looking for an, a niche of a niche of audience. So um, that helps in terms of uh, the types of campaigns that you can run. I think the other factor is the way that our team is set up. So um, we are not more channel agnostic, so we're not really channel specialists. And I think that is really tough in a world to do now where um, you have to look at attribution and your incrementality as a whole, your results as a whole, not just on a channel by channel level. So being um, channel agnostic in the way that our UA managers are set up helps with that. We're always focused on kind of the bigger picture from like a total install uh, and revenue perspective. And the last thing I kind of talked about as well is our focus on creative. So we recognize that creative is one of the biggest levers that we have now. Um, and that's why it's such a big focus, kind of a priority for, for the team as a whole. And with previous companies where they're like UA people were more like channel specific means there was, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you'd have like a like a social paid social team or like a DSP team, SSP team, um, and so I think that's a pretty challenging environment like today. This we sometimes see. So you know, sometimes the the person signing with Incremental will be let's say a director or someone responsible for the marketing budget, but often the team is split where you have a person whose job is to scale up Google and you have a person whose job is to scale up let's say TikTok, and mm -hmm. when they are either incentivized or at least their day-to-day -day goal is to look at that single channel. It's hard for them to comprehend sometimes when you sh show them that, hey, this channel, you're not getting value there. Like you're getting attributed, but you're not getting value there. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. I think that companies that made this evolution that understand that they need to look at marketing as more of a holistic approach because a single impression on, let's say, Facebook is not going to be the reason why a user becomes a Hopper customer for the next five years. It just doesn't work like that. Marketing is a, a bit more holistic. Um, and yeah, I would say for us, ATT, of course, was a, <laughs> a good way to convince companies that that's the way to go. Totally. I think that incentives just aren't uh, aligned with you know, with that approach either when you're just uh, solely focused on the channel performance. Next question is about incrementality. Obviously, you know, I like, cannot really hold myself. Uh, how do you define incrementality in marketing? 
for me, I think incrementality is, is really trying to understand marginal return of, of every dollar um, or any kind of extra dollar that you're spending uh, in your marketing program. Um, I think it's maybe more of a mindset than anything, um, but also thinking that um, it's great that more people are talking about it now um, and it can seem quite daunting, but the approach that I try to think about it at least is if you if you're trying to, to cut uh, your kind of least valuable and least incremental activities, I think that's a easier starting point than to start to think about my entire program is, is everything working as it should be. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I, I, obviously we do see the same. It's like, it's, it's a paradigm shift. And usually what we try to do, it's like ease, ease companies or ease people into the rabbit hole and not get them like the full, hey, here's how you improve coefficients on day one, because then you, you kind of like lose them within the process. Um, now, we always have this like lightning round. Sometimes we use the same uh, um, topic, sometimes we change it. Lightning round, I'm going to throw some keywords that are flying around the industry. And we just love to get your like short answers on what you think of each of these. Influencer marketing. Influencer marketing, great, love it. Uh, we do a lot of that here at Hopper. They're kind of like the modern day celebrity endorsements, which have been uh, used successfully in marketing like since the beginning of time, basically. Um, but I think consumers are getting smarter about that now. Um, everyone knows when an influ influencer is getting paid to promote a product. So uh, that just makes a bit, uh, put the onus back on the marketers to, to make those partnerships uh, a bit more authentic and nuanced. Nice. Any influencers, by the way, that you personally follow? Uh, yeah, a lot of TikTokers, actually. Yeah, I think okay. uh, you probably classify them all as as, uh, as influencers in some respect with what their following is that large. Travel influencers or gaming influencers? Are, are you a gamer, by the way? Uh, not as much. So a lot of travel and just like funny foodie type uh, influencers as well. <laughs> the metaverse. Metaverse, uh, not quite there yet. I actually do have an Oculus. I got one for my birthday. I've tried okay. it. I can definitely see the potential, um, but I don't think it's quite uh, mainstream yet. You know, I would I would get an Oculus when there would be like an operating system. When I can actually do my work on an Oculus and have like minority report style, multiple screens along the room, then I think I would get one. Actually for like gaming, I, I, would, I get super dizzy when I put VR on. Yeah. I found the same thing. I think it's better when, when there's certain games where you can just stand still and stuff's happening. But if you have to move with, along with looking around different directions, yeah, that's tough for me. Maybe I'm just cool. getting old. Um, affiliate marketing. Um, yeah, I mean, like affiliate marketing, I think similar to influencer, influencer marketing, depending on your vertical, can be super effective. Um, okay. Um, Cross-platform advertising. Cross-platform advertising? What do you mean by that? Let's take, uh, you know, connected TV out of home, like combining uh, multiple platforms into a marketing mix or completely relying on the single platform you are essentially where your product is. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I think that's that's uh, definitely the right way moving forward. A lot of, lot of work, Hopper is doing a lot of work in CTV right now. Um, and so a lot of the tracking and solutions aren't quite there yet, but I think... Uh, that just mirrors the actual customer journey and user journey. So um, totally effective. Yeah, it makes sense. Your customers, like follow your customers essentially. 
cool. And then Felix, what's a random fact about you? Uh, Mara, have you ever heard of an Instagram handle called Wall Street Confessions? Wall Street Confessions? No, I don't think I have. Yeah. Basically, it's an Instagram handle where um, people in finance post anonymous confessions or kind of thoughts. Um, and during the pandemic, I started like the marketing version of that called Career Marketer. Um, so it was pretty, pretty interesting uh, project. Got to like 7,000 followers. Um, just, just posting like uh, different confessions from people, like rants mostly about working and marketing. So that was a, a cool thing for me. Nice. Cool. And Felix, if people want to follow you digitally and uh, not uh, stalking, uh, how can they do that? Uh, LinkedIn would probably be the best, best place to reach me. Always happy to meet new people and chat about marketing, growth, user acquisition. But let me add another question then. So your title, I think, on LinkedIn is user acquisition. Basically, like the average media salesperson knows you are someone who might buy media. How many unread messages do you have on your inbox right now? Uh, a lot. And I have like probably uh, like 50 to a hundred, like pending LinkedIn invites from sales yes. from all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cheap CPI, CPA, CPM <laughs> traffic in, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've once experienced this, uh, actually, I, like I did work on the, um, buy side, um, a bit. And this was, this was again, during the times of landline and, I don't know even how they would get my number, but my phone would be constantly ringing to the point where you knew who it is. You knew it's going to be some random salesperson trying to pitch me pop-ups or emailers or whatnot in whatever. Yeah, I always joke that it's like, you'll never be lonely as a person because <laughs> then you always have somebody to talk to who wants to take you out to dinner or something like that, so. <laughs> cool. You did mention, by the way, that you do like, again, you're subscribed to some newsletters and so on. Like, which one do you like? Which one do you think that, again, uh, like if, if someone listening to this and uh, is, is still looking for decent content that is not too pitchy, should be kind of like subscribed to or reading or part of if it's a community? Yeah, two that I like. One is the grow.co newsletter. Um, and then the other one is mobile dev. I, know, I think most people have heard that. Eric Super, both are great. Yeah, yeah. I also love that one. Cool. So, Felix, thank you so much for your time. Have a lovely day. Perfect. Thanks for your time. Talk to you later. Okay.